Right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Avinash. I'm excited to be here with you uh, and to worship. Thank you, Mike, for worship. That was amazing. So yeah, I'm excited to bring God's word to you. So let's just get started. We're going to jump straight into Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 15. And we've been looking at service this past few uh, months in past few weeks in Alam Bible. I'm going to continue that up. Uh, I'm sorry, I've been, I've been trying to avoid this call. <laughs> I, I know some of you are thinking you should have probably turned his phone off or put it in silence, especially when he's going to preach and you're right, I should have done that. Uh, but speaking of phone calls, that was a phone call I wanted to avoid. And I think we all get that. We all want to avoid this conversation of uh, having to discuss your car's extended warranty. Right? And there are certain phone calls we want to avoid because it's a waste of our time. It's not important to us. It's not relevant to us. So we want to stay away from them. Something cool that my phone can do is that it can screen some of these calls and answer on my behalf. So what it does is any call that comes uh, to my phone, it screens it. And you can check if it's legitimate or not. If it is, then it patch it through to me. If not, it would hang up for myself. So I get to outsource this uh, answering these phone calls. And I think we get that. We get to outsource certain uh, uh, calls as well, for example, which is why tech companies have a tech support team which answers all of the calls on behalf of the company. The developers don't need to pick up themselves. So there's this reality that we get to outsource certain calls. And there are certain calls we want to pick up, right? For no matter what the reason, husbands, you need to pick up when your wife calls you, right? <laughs> That's a universal rule. Or when your kids are out and it's uh, way past bedtime and they're not here, they're not answering your calls. And when they call, you want to make sure you pick up, right? You want to know what's going on. Or if you've lost a pet, you're walking around the neighborhood, hanging up posters. And you're going to pick up each and every single call that comes your way because you want to find out where your pet is, right? So in life, we are uh, used to answering a certain calls, we're used to avoiding certain calls, and we're used to outsourcing certain calls. But let me ask you this. What if God calls? How would you respond if God calls? Would you avoid it? Would you outsource it for someone else to pick up on your behalf? Or would you answer it? You see, many times we've said, you know, God hasn't called me to do that. That's not a call that I have received in my life. Have you and I avoided God's call in our life because we thought it wasn't important or if it wasn't relevant for us? or if it was just a waste of our time? Or have you said to yourself, you know, that's not a call for me, that's for someone who's in full-time ministry. Visiting someone when they're sick uh, is not a call for me, it's what we pay buddy and the staff to do. Have we outsourced God's call in our life for someone else to answer on our behalf? Friends, as believers in Christ, God has called each and every one of us. Which is why in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you, speaking of you and me, speaking of those of us who put our faith in Christ, 
you were called to freedom. Now what are we called to do? Look down at the end of verse 13. Through love, become slaves to one another. Through love, serve one another. So you and I, we have been called by God to serve one another. So let me ask you this. At the very beginning, have you answered that call? Or have you avoided it? Or have you outsourced it to someone else to answer? So today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 to 15 uh, to sort of learn about what this call is uh, through what God has communicated to us through Paul in the book of Galatians. And how we're going to go about doing this is first we're going to look at what is this call even. Some of us have never heard in our life that we've been called to do this. So we're going to look at what is the call. Then we're going to look at how do we live out this call. How can we practically live out this call in our life. And lastly we're going to look at what is the warning that Paul gives us if you and I avoid this call in our life? What is it going to look like? What is at stake for the church and for believers like you and me? So to start off, what is the call? And this is it, simply. We are called to serve one another, not ourselves. We are called to serve one another, not ourselves. Now Paul's letter to the Galatians is probably most likely the first letter that he wrote after his uh, salvation experience and he's writing to a ch uh, the church in Galatia, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And the reason he's writing this book is because they are walking away from the gospel that Paul preached to them because of influences from within and outside the church that uh, are leading them astray. And I think that's relevant for us today as well in our culture. We can be influenced by uh, lies that we hear uh, sometimes within the church and even outside the church. So. Uh, this is going to be a helpful study for us, I think. And in Galatians, uh, what Paul does is the section that we are in, verse 13 to 15, is the hinge of the book where Paul shifts from doctrine to practice. So in most of Pauline epistles, you will see that he always starts with a section on doctrine, what is the doctrines of the faith, and then he hinges between how hinges to how do we practically apply uh, this doctrine that he's spoken about. So you see these in Romans Chapter 1 to 11 is the doctrines of the faith, and 12 onwards is how do we live out this doctrine. And the same thing in Galatians. Uh, chapters 1 to 5 verse 12 is the doctrines interspersed with some narratives of uh, the supremacy of faith uh, over the law. And now in verse 13 onwards, he talks about how do we live out this faith that we uh, proclaim as believers of Christ. So join me in 5 verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, and let's just look at that first phrase. Uh, one helpful way to read epistles is to break each verse into tiny phrases so that we can see how each phrase interacts with each other. Okay, so let's look at first the first phrase. You and I, we were called to freedom. So the calling that Paul is talking about here, especially when, except when he's using the word calling literally, he's talking about our salvation experience. He's talking about when we were called to faith. Uh, and for some of our Bibles, if we move all the way back to the end, we'd have something called a concordance, which basically lists every instance of where a, a, a word is used in the Bible, every Bible verse. And I strongly recommend that you get a concordance that helps us understand how people use the words that they use. So if you look up a concordance and look at the word calling, every instance of where Paul uses it, he uses it in the context of a salvific experience. So even in the book of Galatians, if we go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he talks about 
uh, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. He's talking about the salvation experience of the Gentile church. In verse 15, he talks about his own salvation experience. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace. So you can see that in this, in this book, when he's using the word calling, he's talking about a salvation experience. And what were we called to? He says, we were called to freedom. Now the word to freedom is not the purpose of the calling, but more in the sense of direction. We were called towards freedom. In other words, what he's saying is our saving from sins is toward freedom. For we were in the realm of our sins, but when Jesus called us, we were called to the realm of his light. So we were called to freedom. Now what is this freedom? And this is what Paul, he labors to clarify in this entire book. What he's trying to say, his general message is that the law brings bondage, but there is freedom in the promise through Jesus Christ. That uh, you and I, we have been released from the bondage of having to earn God's favor. You and I, we've been released from the mentality or the reality of having to work or perform to earn God's favor but we've been called to freedom. And this idea that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters, in which we have the boldness to enter into his presence, is what he's trying to clarify. For example, when uh, in a parent-child relationship, when your child disappoints you or does something to really hurt your feelings, they don't unchild themselves at that moment. They don't stop being your child, right? You are still their parent. They're still your child. Yes, they've probably earned, lost the, your trust. They've lost the, the option to get some cookies. They have to work hard to regain that trust, but they don't have to work hard to regain their sonship or their daughtership, right? This is the freedom that Paul is talking about. That you and I, we've been called and we've been adopted into God's family. We have uh, the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. And no matter what happens, we are still his children and he is still our father. We need to remember that. We need to let that soak in and remind ourselves of that every single day, that we are God's children and we don't have to perform. When, uh, when I'd just given my life to Christ and when I was in youth ministry, I was working, I'd been saved, but I was working in this slave mindset. I thought that if I worked hard enough, uh, then God would be uh, favorable to me. So I would be working, I'd be in church all Saturday, all Sunday, working in church, working in ministry. And on Monday, I'd be expecting God to help me out in my exams because I've just performed so well as a Christian these past few days. I was working in that mindset thinking that if I worked hard enough, then God is, is going to be pleased with me. And what that led me to do is I started evaluating and judging all the people around me, my friends, my family, based on how badly they performed compared to how well I performed as a believer. And the worst of all is when my, uh, my struggle with pornography came into the mix, I was just struggling to believe that God loved me because I would try over and over again and I would fail. And I was convinced that God has just, he's gone tired. He's shrugged his shoulders and he's turned away from me because there's no chance that he would forgive me over and over again. But it's when I realized that I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. 
that I, that I could understand grace, that I could understand the gospel, that I don't have to work hard, I don't have to slave to earn God's favor. No matter what I do, God's opinion of me has not changed and will never change. God still is my father. And that is freedom. That is the freedom that Paul is talking about. And I just want to invite if there's anybody here today who is struggling and is overwhelmed with his guilt and shame of sin, I want to invite you that there is freedom in Christ. That is, I found freedom. You can find freedom as well. This is the freedom that Paul is talking about. We are called to freedom. Now let's look at the next phrase. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Not use your freedom as an opportunity to serve yourself. How does Paul say we have to use our freedom? Not to serve ourselves. Not as an opportunity for me to continue sinning, continue in my uh, fleshly habits, just so that, because I know God's going to forgive me anyway. He's my father. He's going to forgive me. That's an abuse of grace. That's what Paul is saying we should not be doing with our freedom. And the way he uses the word flesh is he compares it uh, contrasts it with the work of the Spirit. We know that the work of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, etc. He contrasts the flesh with all of that. And look at his description for what the flesh is in chapter 5, verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. They are sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envy, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I'm warning you as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me try this. Show of hands for who here today has struggled with one of this this past week. I know I have. And the, the reason Paul is saying this is because the believers in the Galatian church abused their freedom to indulge in the flesh, doing all of these things. And if you look around you, it doesn't look like anything has changed. You and I have confessed as believers to doing the same thing. Church, like the Galatian church, you and I, we have abused our freedom to indulge in our flesh. And there are several ways as believers we do this. Even me, as I was preparing for this sermon last week, Kathy had wanted me to do something that she really enjoys and she likes, and I chose to be lazy. I chose to indulge in what I wanted to do and suck all the fun out of something that she really enjoyed. And I'm here preaching this to you. <laughs> or in, in corporate worship, when, when there is a song that we hear that is in a style that we don't like, instead of looking around to see how that song is edifying other people, we just reject it and we stand hands crossed, stone faced, because that's not how we want to be edified. Or sometimes we use our personality as an excuse to indulge ourselves. We use our disc assessment, the MBTS, the Enneagram, to say, hey, this is who I am, this is how you need to treat me for me to be accepted. Far too often, I think we use our personality to drive our character 
and not our character to drive our personality. And we even confuse freedom with personal rights. And I think that's a prevalent understanding here. It's my freedom, it's my rights, it's my body, it's my rights. Yes, of course, you and I, we are created with dignity and we have rights to life and sustenance, but I think we need to think about that a little deeper. Are, these, are our rights here to serve ourselves? Are our rights or our claim to our rights an excuse for our own preferences? You see, Jesus, I don't think Jesus went around fighting for his rights and fighting for his preferences. He was the sinless man who was punished for sin. If there's anyone in this room who is entitled to their rights, it has to be Jesus. But how did he serve? He sacrificed his desires. He sacrificed himself so that we can have our freedom to serve. He took on the form of a servant. You see, if you and I as claim to be Christ followers, we have tattoos claiming to be Christ followers, do our beliefs and behavior betray what we speak, betray what we believe? And I know it's sticky that the, the truth of Scripture doesn't have to bend to be politically correct. And the Bible doesn't have to bend to be politically correct. If, if Paul were to write a letter of Galatians, if he were to write the letter to Alan Bible, do you think he'd say anything different? A few seconds ago, all of us confessed to struggle with the same things that the Galatian church struggled with as well. And it's interesting to note that the freedom we have in Christ is not the general way we, the world understands freedom. Think of a prisoner who is uh, serving his term in, serving a sentence in prison. He is living under someone else's laws, right? He does not have the freedom or the privilege to indulge in what he wants to do. And he's lost that privilege because of the crimes that he's committed. But the moment he is released, what is the first thing he's going to do? He's no longer living under that law. He's going to indulge himself, right? He's going to do what he wants to do. But if we look at it, the, the biblical treatment of our freedom in Christ, it's slightly different. We are freed, we are called to freedom, but not to use it as an opportunity to indulge ourselves. So what should we be doing? And this is what Paul has been waiting to get to in this verse. He's setting up this argument to talk about what we should do with our freedom. Let's look at verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but, here's the contrast, but through love become slaves to one another. Through love serve one another. Our calling as believers is this. We are called to serve one another, not ourselves. We've been freed to be slaves to one another. Am I hearing that right? We've been freed, freed to serve. A prisoner has been freed from a sentence only to serve another sentence? You see, this idea is just so repulsive. This is what the world outside and the culture accuses Christianity of, that Christians are just living under a whole bunch of rules. It's restrictive. There's no breathing space. But I think what we forget is when we are called to freedom, we focus on the restriction rather than the abundance that lies ahead of us. In the Garden of Eden, all we focus on is that one tree that they were not supposed to eat. But they had the entire abundance of the entire garden, all of God's provision. You and I are 
co-heirs with Christ. Everything, all of creation belongs to Christ and he has freely shared it with us. Friends, that is freedom. That is abundance. That's not restriction. And what are we called to do? We are called to serve one another, to be slaves to one another. So what are some ways we can do this? And that's a good question to ask because the Bible has several of these one another's for us to follow. Here's a list that we have. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Mutually comfort one another. 12.10, Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. One translation says, Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. We must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. Instruct one another. Carry one another's burdens. Share your, your secrets. Share your flaws. Share your sin struggles. Confess your sins and let each other carry each other's burdens. We're not created to carry our burdens on ourselves, by ourselves. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, put up with one another. That's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. Put up with one another. That includes your kids also. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Philippians 2.3, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Treat one another as more important than yourself. Do not lie to one another, encourage one another. List, this list goes on and on. And I encourage you in your time to do a Google search of all the one another's in the Bible because that's what we are called to do, to serve one another. And you know, as a church, we can't practice these one another's if we're not in fellowship with one another, if we're not meeting regularly, if we're not talking to each other. We can't be believers just in the four corners of our room. And I know there are some of us who are watching online, and I get that there are challenges for us to come to service on Sundays, but I want to urge you to consider that we are called by God to serve one another, and we can only serve if we are with people. We have to be with our fellow brothers and sisters, not for ourselves, but for the sake of people around us. So I ask you again, friends, is this a call we have avoided? Have we outsourced this call? Have you said, you know, it's not in my personality to do this. I've, I've never grown up doing stuff like this. Why should I share my feelings with someone else when they've never opened up to me? Have we avoided this call? Or have we said, this is what the leaders of the church ought to do. This is what people in full-time ministry do. You know, this is what the young people do. Back in the day, we never shared our secrets. We never shared our sins with people. This is what the religious people do. I'm not used to talking about faith in the, in the, at home. It's my wife who's more spiritual. It's her job. Have we outsourced this call in our life? You see, in, when Paul says you were called, he's not distinguishing between young and old or full-time workers and workplace Christians or parents and children or empty nesters. He doesn't have any distinction. When he says you, 
he's including each and every single person in this room. You and I, we were called to serve one another and not ourselves. So now that we've looked at what the call is, let's look at how do we live this out? What does it look like for us to practically live this? And this is how we do it. We are called to serve one another in love as we love ourselves. We're called to serve one another in love as in the same way we love ourselves. Again, join me in verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul here is quoting a verse from Leviticus 19.18, and in the Leviticus passage, it's in a section of God's standards of holiness for his people. And uh, the same thing is, is echoed in the New Testament. So the idea is this is a calling that God has placed for all God's people throughout time. And one of the reasons Paul is using the law here, because he's been arguing against the law in the rest of the book, is he's trying to explain the principle that uh, emphasizing the, the fact that we love one another is how we show evidence of our faith. In other words, serving our brothers and sisters in love reflects our calling as believers. Now, this is a statement that Jesus continues as well. And when Jesus is asked, who is your neighbor? Jesus speaks of the, the one man who, who laid down his, his preferences, laid down his convenience, laid down his rights, crossed social borders, and helped the person who was hurting. So when, Jesus called, when God calls us to love our neighbor, can you and I lay down our preferences our opinions and cross social borders, sit with people we're not comfortable with, and share this freedom that we have so that they can receive the freedom that we've received? Can we love our neighbor as ourselves? And he says, the way we love is the way we love ourselves. And you know what, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of us here, almost all of us, love ourselves more than we think we do. I know there may be people who are struggling to love yourself right now, but I want to encourage you, regardless of whether you can love yourself or not, God loves you, and that's a fact, and he created you, and he longs for you to have a relationship with him so that you can understand that this love that he has for you. But for a lot of us, I think we love ourselves more than we think we do. You see... The fact that we brush our teeth in the morning and we don't want bad breath is self-care. It's because we love ourselves too much. The fact that we don't want to go hungry and starve to death is an act of self-love and self-care. The fact that we don't want to hurt ourselves and avoid injury and pain is because we love ourselves. We don't want to cause harm to ourselves. That's the same way we are called to love one another, the, the way you love yourself. You see, you and I, we don't think twice before brushing our teeth in the morning. In the same way, we shouldn't have to think twice to forgiving our spouse who hasn't paid attention to our needs for the 10th time today. That's how we love as we love ourselves. See, you and I, we don't think twice to feed ourselves when we're really hungry. And in the same way, we shouldn't have to think twice to cross social borders, 
to share the gospel to someone who's hurting, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to that person who wants you to use certain pronouns. You and I don't think twice to avoid a head-on collision when we're driving. In the same way, we shouldn't have to think twice to, to put up with that annoying neighbor who puts up, who just pushes all of your buttons. We're called to put up with one another. We don't think twice to go out and eat and have dinner. The same way we shouldn't have to think twice to take a meal to someone who's hurting, who's struggling, to share Christian fellowship. You know, you and I, we don't think twice to watch that game on TV. In the same way, we shouldn't have to think twice to sacrifice that time to spend with your spouse, spend with your kids. Because that's how we love each other the way we love ourselves. We are called to serve one another in love as we love ourselves. Again, I ask you, have you avoided this call? Have you outsourced this for someone else to answer? Now we've looked at what the call is in our lives. We've looked at what it looks like to live it. But what is the danger and the warning if we avoid that call? Verse 15. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is Paul's warning to the Galatian church and to Allen Bible today. Serve yourself and you will be consumed. Serve yourself and you will be consumed. If we avoid this call, Paul says that the church will disintegrate. The word he uses for consume is complete annihilation. It's as if nothing existed there to begin with. And Paul is using these graphic words like bite and devour intentionally. These are words that are used to describe how animals ravage and bite for food. It's survival of the fittest. It brings me to mind the, the pack of lions who are fighting each other to feed on that carcass and, and put, uh, keep hyenas away. It's that ravaging attitude. He's painting a polar opposite of what it looks like if we don't love one another. He's saying, if you don't do this, this is what it's going to look like. And I think it's reasonable for us to say that the church in America is declining, that we are becoming post-Christian. We all acknowledge that that's happened in Europe, where several cathedrals are no longer meeting as, uh, as a church, but they are converted into bars and restaurants and music venues. And we know that, that America seems to be heading that way. And you and I, we have acknowledged that. We've shaken our heads. We've shrugged and sighed. But is that happening because you and I have avoided this call to serve one another? Is the church in America declining because you and I have avoided this call? Is the church fading because we cannot forgive a brother and sister because of something they did or something they said? Is the church imploding because we cannot help but be envious of other churches and be prideful of our own church? Is fellowship within the church failing because we just don't know how to take responsibility and own up to our mistakes and just ask for forgiveness within the body? 
is the society losing hope in Christianity because we can't be bothered to share a prayer with someone who's serving our food or cutting our hair or grooming our dog? Are our children leaving the church because as parents we don't know how to practice the one and others with them? Is the church and the family crumbling because husbands and wives don't know how to put up with each other? Friends, I ask you this. Is the church in America fading because you and I have avoided this call in our life? Have we outsourced it? So what do we do? And I submit to you this response. Serve one another as you love yourself. This is our call that God places in our life. Serve one another as you love yourself. Now, I'll be the first to admit that this is easier said than done. Because of sin, our natural inclination is to turn inward. Our natural inclination is to feed ourselves and to feed, feed ourselves and self-gratify. That is our natural inclination. Even as I was working on the sermon yesterday, uh, instead of using my time wisely, I was just indulging myself watching YouTube videos. I could have used that time to study so that I can serve the church better. And I get it, it's so hard for us to think of the, the other person. And the good news is we have the Holy Spirit as believers who dwells in us and who encourages us and convicts us and draws us closer to God. And we have Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the only person who was able to perfectly exemplify this principle. We have him as an example. And look at what Paul says in his testimony about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't play the God card when, when he could. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. There's that word again. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form. His condescension is the perfect example of serving one another. And he humbled himself to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' life and death gives us the perfect picture of laying aside your rights, laying aside your, your conveniences, and to serve one another. Jesus died so that we can be freed to serve each other. And I want you to hear me say this. Jesus didn't serve a death sentence on our behalf and hand us our freedom only for us to use that freedom to serve ourselves and hand a death sentence to the church. Let me say that again. Jesus did not serve a death sentence on our behalf and hand us our freedom just for us to use that freedom to serve ourselves and hand a death sentence to the church. So, will, can you and I, can we put our awkwardness aside and ask the waiter who hands you your lunch today, hey, can we pray for you? We usually pray before our meal. Is there something we can pray for you for? Can you and I put aside our pride and ego and ask our spouse, how have we failed you to serve? How can I serve you better moving forward? Can we put aside our power trip and speak to our children and ask, how can I serve you? How, what can I do to make you feel heard and loved at home? 
would you commit to just talking to your family on your ride back in the car of how you've responded to this call in your life? It's going to be awkward, but would you commit to doing that? And would we as a church even take stock of our own individual giftedness and, how, and see how we can serve each other with our resources and not use it just for our own indulgence? Could we serve one another as we love ourselves? And could, could you just even like take your phones and set an alarm to ring whenever, uh, whenever time that works for you so that when you hear that phone ring, that it would remind you that of God's call in your life? Friends, God is calling each of us today. Will you answer? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the fact that we have freedom in this country to study your word and to proclaim your truth. God, we've been freed from sin, and that's such an amazing privilege that will take a lifetime for us to understand and fully grasp. God, would you give us the boldness to seek you for strength, to not use our freedom to serve ourselves, but to serve our spouses, our children, our family, our friends, and the people who we work with, the people who we interact with, so that you may be glorified. Father, help us not to be foolish to thinking that we are not responsible for the decline of that church. Before we point fingers at politicians, at culture, and what the world says, God, help us to evaluate where we have failed in serving you. And God, to do this, we need your grace. We need your love. And you have abundance of that. And we ask that you help us to abide in you and to trust you to lead us to serve each other in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.